how does God guide the church? And then I, the Spirit kept prompting me, no, don't do that yet, put that off. So last, yesterday, I kind of went a different direction. So if this sermon's half-baked, I apologize. But, uh, but I, it's one of those moves that I feel the Lord wanted me to make. And, um, and so the message is, is, first, how does God speak to us? And I've talked about it in hints and starts over the last week or two, but we want to take a full look at this important topic. Uh, how are we influenced for God to lead us and guide us? And now as I share this, I've got water up here this week. I've had a cold earlier in the week, and I'm pretty well over the cold, but I still could have an itchy cough once in a while, and so that's why I've got the water. So I'm hoping I don't need it, but, but just so you know, um, and I'm hopefully far enough away that I won't share any germs anyway. Um, but as we jump in this morning, we're going to start uh, just with a verse today. It's, it's, this is more of a topical message. And so the scripture comes to us from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. And the early part of Ephesians 2 talks about God's amazing grace that he has just doused us with and immersed us in and poured into our hearts and lives, right? And uh, it's a gift, it's free, it's forgiveness, it's a fresh start, um, it's salvation, all these things Paul talks about. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not anything you did. It's a gift of God. And that is an amazing gift. And then out of that gift, we get to this 10th verse, which shares these words. For we are God's handiwork, created in the Messiah Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So God's grace pours into our lives to save us from our sin, to save us from our selfishness, to save us from ourselves, so that God can make something better of your life. Doesn't that sound like good news? I hope so. Let's dig into it more if you'll pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness and mercy and love today. Um, Lord Jesus, help me lift you up. Holy Spirit, help us welcome you in our hearts and lives and begin to notice how you want to guide us and what good things you have in store for us to be and do for our families, our neighbors, our work, and our community for your glory. I pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen. So for a couple of weeks, we've been talking about how God works in and through us as the church, the body of Christ. And a couple of weeks ago, we kind of started that by learning that Jesus says when we get to know him in a real practical personal relationship, that we begin to hear his voice. And as we begin to hear his voice, we have an opportunity then to listen to what he's telling us and obey. When we listen and obey, he begins to guide our lives. And so we want to be a people who let God guide us. Last week we talked about the important thing that Paul encountered on the road to Damascus 
that Jesus is the Lord of all. And he is to be our Lord. And so if he's to be our Lord, again, it comes back to the question, who do we want driving our life? Who do we want in the driver's seat? Are we supposed to be in the driver's seat? Or if Jesus is my Lord, I want Jesus in my driver's seat. I want him guiding me, showing me how to do what he wants me to do. As Paul says here in Ephesians, you are God's handiwork. God's created you for good things. And because he's created you for good things, um, he wants to accomplish some things that only you can accomplish. He wants to do some things only you can do. And so he's created you for his glory. I told you I need that water. Um, and so today, what does that look like? How does God guide us? Well, <coughs> excuse me. He guides us with uh, what some call the five CSs. The five CSs. I first heard about this with Nicky Gumbel, who's a preacher in England that runs what's called the Alpha Course. Um, and it's very similar to what we often talk about in the Methodist Church, which we call the Wesleyan Quadrilateral. The Wesleyan Quadrilateral, which is a fancy name for four ways God guides us. And so I want us to look at these five today, and I pray the Lord will help me make it through it. <clears throat> the first area God guides us in is <coughs> excuse me, through God's compelling spirit. Through God's compelling spirit. When we say yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit uh, comes into our lives. We're filled with his power. We're filled with his presence. And as God fills us with his power and presence, we are able uh, to begin recognizing Jesus' voice and doing what he wants us to do. And we talked about how, again a couple of weeks ago, that Jesus' sheep listen for his voice. Jesus' sheep listen for his voice. <coughs> and so with that, as we listen for Christ's voice, that voice comes to us through the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit often will compel us to move in directions or to make certain choices or to do kind of certain, you know, make different decisions. Uh, we talked about this a few weeks ago, I think, just in terms of how sometimes uh, just a little thought may come to your mind. You know what? I need to do this. Uh, or, you know, I need to stop and call this person. <coughs> you know, um, in my own life, I've had people kind of come to my mind, and, uh, and so I, I would call a couple of people yesterday that I hadn't touched base with in a while. And so the compelling spirit helps us do that. I think me moving to this message today instead of the other message I was going to do, again, was just a little prompting of God's compelling spirit. And so that's kind of the first area. We're looking for God to give us little nudges in uh, a new direction. I know when I first became a Christian, one of the first instances that I can remember about this in my own life, as I was beginning to follow Jesus, is as a teenager, I had a nudge to go back to church. 
I'd always thought church was boring. I always thought, eh, I don't know if I want to do church or not. You know, I always went because my mom made me or my grandparents made me. Um, but after beginning to follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit began to say, you know what, you need to go to church. And so I told my mom, Mom, can we go to church? And so really for the first time in my life, we started going to church every week. And that totally sort of changed and shaped my life from there on out. And uh, I wouldn't be here today if that first compelling spirit nudge hadn't kind of guided me in that first step. So compelling spirit is number one. Number two is commanding scripture. God guides us through the Holy Spirit with God's commanding scripture. The principal guide for our life and faith is this book. It's always been this book. It always will be this book. This book is, a, is active. It's alive. It interacts with our hearts and lives in ways that no other book will. I mean, I've been reading the stories recently. I'm, you know, I'm back in the Old Testament. So I'm reading about how God called Genesis to leave his home and to, uh, God called Abraham, God called Abraham back in Genesis to leave his home and to go to a new country and a new place and a new territory, right? And uh, Abraham did it. And how God guided him through that time. Or how Joseph was called to, uh, to be thrown in a pit by his brothers. And you think, boy, God can't do anything good after you've been thrown into a pit and sent into exile and go to prison. But then we see how God uses these circumstances in Joseph's life to turn him into the second most powerful person in the land of Egypt. Only the Pharaoh was more powerful than Joseph because God in his providence had good for Joseph to accomplish. And sometimes even it's a hard path that gets us there. All these stories, King David going from being a shepherd to being a king, the challenges he had to face in that journey. Uh, the prophets of old, like Jeremiah, who had to deliver the truth to God's people who weren't ready to hear it, and as a result, spent a bunch of his time either in jail or in a pit. Jeremiah's life was not an easy life, but he did what God had called him to do. He, he listened to the five CSs in a way that made a significant difference. And those stories begin to make us ask questions. God, if you did this for Abraham and Joseph and David and Jeremiah and Jesus and Matthew and Mark, if you did this for all these folks, what do you want to do with me? We begin to listen and we begin to allow the scripture to guide us. And it also guides us with righteousness and holiness. This book is a book of great advice for making right choices, for making holy choices, for making good choices. This book is filled with ideas like it's good to pay your taxes. We're supposed to pay our taxes. It's good to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. It's good to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It's good to not commit adultery. It's good to not murder. It's good to... You know, there's so much advice in this book. And the only way we can know it is to read it and dig into it. And that doesn't mean that this uh, 
commanding scripture is always easy. There are parts of this book that are a challenge. Just last week, I had one of our church folks came up to me after church and said, you know what, Chris, I've been reading Psalms recently. And in reading Psalms, um, you know, I didn't realize there is so much anger and violence in the Psalms. You know, I thought they would be songs of praise and worship and happy and joyful. And I'm reading the Psalms and seeing that, man, there's a lot of angry people writing these songs. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. That's a really good observation. You know, and, but doesn't it remind us how tough life must have been in the ancient world? I mean, can you imagine being King David and having King Saul want to kill you for like 10 years? Or have your son, when you get, start getting a little old, having a son want to take over for you without telling you? Or another son wanting to take over for Solomon when you're ready to give the kingdom to Solomon, another son instead tries to step in. You know, can you imagine all the challenges if you're King David and you have people around you that aren't there because they love you or aren't there to, to help you uh, make the best kingdom possible, but they're there because they want something out of you and they want something from you? And oftentimes, you know, those are things we don't think about, but as this one member is reading through the Psalms, she's starting to have to wrestle with, huh, they're not quite what I thought they would be. And that's a good thing, because it teaches us about the mess of life we have now. I think it also teaches me that, man, in America, in the midst of everything we see on the news, we still have it really, really, really good. I mean, we shouldn't really be complaining about anything. You know, too much capitalism or too much socialism. I mean, we really shouldn't complain about a whole lot because comparatively, if you had been alive 2,000, 3,000 years ago, it was a lot harder place to survive. So anyway, compelling scripture, right? Uh, no, commanding scripture. Compelling spirit, commanding scripture. Number three, number three is uh, common sense common sense. Uh, and that seems kind of unusual, right? It's like, well, I just have common sense. I don't really need it. But this is almost like God common sense. Uh, again, I think I mentioned something along these lines a week or two ago. Um, but it's the idea that there are moments where I don't know the way forward. Uh, you know, my common sense maybe can't quite figure it out for a day or a week or whatever, if especially if it's a big, challenging issue. But then, as I pray about it, as I study scripture, as I do other things, uh, maybe clarity starts to take place. And the answer begins to be clear and obvious. And it's like, oh, yeah, I need to do that. Well, yeah, that's common sense. But it's letting the Holy Spirit be involved in that common sense. Um, and just to kind of give you some guidance with this, uh, uh, one John Wesley, uh, the founder of the Methodist Christianity, said this about our common sense, that God will bring a reason to your mind 
for doing his will. God will bring a reason to your mind for doing his will. So once we let Jesus be Lord of our life, God can use our common sense. John Stott, the great British preacher who died, gosh, maybe five, six years ago, I think, said this, God's promises of guidance were not given to us to save us the problem of thinking. God's promises of guidance were not given to us to save us the problem of thinking. Y'all, and I've seen some Christian communities that, that really downplay this. It's almost like they don't want you to listen to your brain at all. You know, it's like throw out your brain, live by faith, and on, on. but I don't, I don't buy into that. God gave us a mind. He gave us reason to try to wrestle with him and figure out the next step the next thing we're to be and do. And, uh, and so, yeah, common sense is something the Holy Spirit can use in guiding your life. And as you learn to listen for his voice, um, he will. He will. I remember one of the early prayers I prayed as teenagers, right? Uh, one of my big prayers when I was back in high school is, Lord, just help me do the best I can on this test. You know, every, I would pray before every test, you know, help my mind to be clear, help me be ready to work fast. You know, I would just kind of all the details, Lord, help me put all the pieces together because I want to knock out this test as best I can, you know? And even that kind of basic prayer was just kind of a common sense prayer saying, God, help use this brain to do the best it can so that I can show my teacher what I know and maybe maybe one day get to Georgia Tech, right? And uh, they probably wouldn't have let me in Georgia Tech today. They really wouldn't. It's a lot harder to get in today than it was then. Uh, back in high school, I was good at math, and that got me in Georgia Tech. Today, if you're good at math, it's not enough. You've got to be good at math and the other stuff. Um, and I wasn't quite as good at the other stuff. So that's number three, common sense. Number four is counsel of the saints. God speaks through the counsel of the saints. That is the church. God guides us with each other. That's why having Christian friendships is so important. Having Christian relationships is critical because you can take your challenges to others in the family and get their advice. Proverbs affirms this. In Proverbs chapter 12, uh, verse 15. Fools think their own way is right, but the wise listen to advice. Fools think their own way is right, right, but the wise listen to advice. And then Proverbs 15, 22. Without counsel, plans go wrong, but with many advisors, they succeed. Without counsel, plans go wrong, but with many advisors, they succeed. Um, to live kind of a healthy Christian life uh, we we're part of a body we're connected to each other you know when uh, Genesis and Jesus 
talk about, for instance, what marriage is, right? They, they, they talk about marriage being the two becoming one flesh, kind of an intimate, woven-together family relationship that creates something new. And I think Paul felt like, as well, that Jesus' body, the church, that, that we're woven together, we're interdependent on each other, and it makes us something new, a new creation that's led by Jesus and that uh, helps us uh, navigate life together. And that's the communion of the saints. And so that goes with talking to each other here. That goes with listening to other voices, maybe, you know, uh, other strong Christian preachers. Maybe you like to podcast and listen listen to other preachers uh, that are really, really, you know, good speakers. Uh, it also includes listening to the uh, church fathers and mothers who came before us. That's why in other sermons you've heard me quote St. Augustine or quote St. Ambrose or quote, uh, you know, Cyril of Jerusalem or John Chrysostom or, you know, some other, you know, C.S. Lewis Whenever we do that, uh, we call that pulling on the body of Christ, pulling on church tradition. Church tradition is the idea that we learn from the whole body of Christ, present, past, and future. And our conversation, Christian conversation, is central to that. And then the fifth one, our last one, is circumstantial signs. Circumstantial signs. The Holy Spirit can guide us and guide our way. Oftentimes you hear it being like, you know, God may close a door in your life. God may open a door in your life. And, and we have to look for those and we have to listen to those. And uh, in, I, I think there is truth to that. Uh, but we do have to kind of be careful. You know, there are some doors I think that uh, maybe get a little slammed but God wants us to kind of keep knocking at it, right? Don't just say, oh, well, it's closed. I better move on. Sometimes God wants to see persistence in knocking on a door over and over and over again. But other doors, he'll just open wide for you. and You can walk right through. To give you, again, some examples of that from Scripture, uh, when Paul, uh, who was, you know, the early missionary of the church, and he was spreading the kingdom all sorts of different places, in Acts chapter 16, him and his team, they're trying to go to this one area of Turkey, and the Holy Spirit just will not let them head that direction. The door remains firmly closed, and then he has a vision that calls him, instead of going to Turkey, I want you to go to Greece. And that's where he goes. And this is this quote from Acts 16:7. When they had come opposite Mycenae in Turkey, they attempted to go into the Blathenia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go. The circumstances closed. But then later on, we see an open door for Paul. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 9, Paul says this, I'm going to stay in Ephesus until Pentecost. Why? Because the wide door for effective work is open. For me, a wide door for effective work is open for me, and I've I noticed that some even in my own life. Maybe you've noticed it in yours. Um, when Andrew and I first graduated from Georgia Tech, and we were newly married, 
that we need to find jobs and find work to make some money. Um, you know, I wasn't, I knew I might go into ministry at some point, but I really wasn't really sure. Um, but as we began looking for jobs, I couldn't find anything. Uh, you know, I couldn't find diddly squat. But uh, Andrea found a great job in Lexington, Lexington Kentucky, um, up there at Lexmark International, which used to make the printers. And so we moved up there. It was an open door for us to move to Kentucky, a place we would never have chosen otherwise. But while we're in Kentucky, um, that's also where Asbury Theological Seminary is. And the house we eventually bought in Kentucky was exactly halfway between Lexmark, where Andrea had to go to work, about 20 minutes away, and Asbury, Kentucky was the opposite direction, about 20 minutes away. And, uh, and it worked perfectly. It was an open door to be right where God wanted us to be in his time. Now, even with that, I didn't go to Asbury Seminary right away because I thought, hey, I am trained to be a mechanical engineer. And by golly, I want to try and see if I can be a decent mechanical engineer. And so I kept knocking on doors, and I'd have about five, six, seven interviews, and they kept shutting the door in my face. I'm like, I went to Georgia Tech. I, like, made not quite straight A's, but I had, like, a really good GPA. I got the degree, you know, mechanical engineer. I'm good. And they kept shutting the door in my face and shutting the door. And so eventually I got a job repairing the early notebook computers with Lexmark. Uh, I think because they felt sorry for me and they knew I needed something to do. Um, and so I did that for about a year and a half until that shipped over to China. And then I tried one more time uh, to see if I could get a job with Lexmark as the ME that they needed. And again, they said, well, Chris, yeah, we've gotten to know you. We know your wife. We love your wife. But no, we don't think you can be a mechanical engineer. They shut the door in my face again. So finally, out of desperation, I was like, well, I guess I'll take a seminary class and see if I enjoy that anymore. And I took the one class, and I was hooked. And the Holy Spirit began leading me to Asbury Theological Seminary and to full-time ministry. And, uh, and so circumstances have a lot to do with that. The other thing is, in our life circumstances, you've gone through some challenges, right? You've gone through some hard times, some tough times, maybe growing up in a dysfunctional family or, or trying to face addiction. Or in our family, we've got lots of girls. All our girls have autoimmune kind of sicknesses like diabetes. And, and all those things are challenges, but... God doesn't waste anything. God uses our tough circumstances for his glory later on in life, if we'll let him. I know with our girls with type 1 diabetes, how many uh, nurses that they run into that say, yeah, I'm a diabetes nurse, and the reason I'm a diabetes nurse is because I got diabetes when I was your age. And I just thought, this is what I'm called to do. And uh, so... God never wastes our life in the broken parts of it. And so those are the five CSs. Compelling spirit, commanding scripture, common sense, communion of the saints, and uh, the circumstances, circumstantial signs. And so a 
look at how God uses those in your life. Little decisions might be just one or two. Big decisions, you're probably going to see uh, multiple avenues coming together. And, uh, and as you do, uh, may God complete his good work in you and do the good things he's called you to do, that he's prepared for you to do, that only you can do for his goodness, his love, and his kingdom. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.